All right, hello everyone. I'm Tony Mann. Thanks for coming to the premiere episode of The Art of the Interview. And uh, extra special thanks for everyone at Coney Island Baby for helping to make this happen. Uh, right now I'd like to introduce you to uh, author and filmmaker and the host of the show, Stephen Blush. Our first guest needs little introduction. The Bad Brains were the most important black rock band of the, of the modern era. And while that's true, that almost is diminishing their impact. Because what HR and Earl and Doc and Daryl did changed music, changed culture, changed this city, changed this neighborhood. And a lot of that action took right next door here at 171 Avenue A, so there's a lot to deal with here. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for HR. easier for you. So, it's such a pleasure to have HR here. Your music, your path, your spiritual journey. I mean, we could only scratch the surface here talking for a little while. So let's go way back and let's talk about the Hudson family. Because, you know, Paul Hudson, Earl Hudson, that's half of our rock history. So, I know your dad was in the military. You weren't even born in this country. And so talk about life growing up before you end up in DC. Yes, sir. I was uh, born in Liverpool, England. And we came over to DC when I was about two years old. And we've been doing traveling around. My father was in the Air Force. And I've been to about 14 schools all around different places, New York, Atlanta, Connecticut, LA, Atlanta, and just all over the place, you know? But we settled down into Maryland, mm -hmm. right outside DC, Oxon Hill, Maryland, mm -hmm. when I was about 15 years old. And we, we got there from Staten Island. And I was in Staten Island for about two, two years. I went to um, this place called um, Hickam Air Force Base, mm -hmm. that's where I went to uh, school in D.C. You know, everyone talks about like an army brat, but I never met an army brat. It's a very tough life, right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's government, and uh, it has its ups and downs. Mm -hmm. So, um, one of the things that you got into young, which is really a big part of the whole bad brains thing, is uh, your experience in gymnastics. And uh, your athleticism kind of took this music to a whole other level. So yeah. just talk about like how you applied it to your music because it just gave the specific freedom that you mm -hmm. did that was just off the hook. Yeah. I, I was a pole vaulter in Abilene, Texas. And then we moved to a place called um, Oxon Hill, Maryland. And before I was in Oxon Hill, like I said, I was in... Um, New York, and there I did, did a little diving and, and for about a couple of years, and then I came to D.C. They wanted to take me to the Olympics, but my mother said, no, 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 he's coming with the family. 
Wow, because you really brought an athleticism to rock that had never really been seen, right? Yes, sir. I mean, yes, sir. I mean, it was crazy. Mm -hmm. um, talk about, is that Prince George's County? Is yes, that sir. Is? Mm -hmm. Talk about Prince George's County, Maryland. I mean, maybe people don't get it here, but mm -hmm. it's like mixed race, but it's so law and order. And it's like, I yeah. mean, the, when I moved, when I came down there, the cops had jack boots, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. And it's like a crazy, and an explosion like the bad brains can mm -hmm. only come out of a stifling place like mm -hmm. that in some mm -hmm. ways, right? Yes, sir. We were in Potomac High School. I went there, and it was about a uh, five-minute walk to where we lived. And uh, it was an interesting experience. I had a coach named Coach Harrison, and I was named to athletics, and there I pole vaulted, broke the school record of 11-3, and also was a high, high hurdler and low hurdler, and did a little bit of long jumping. And the school was uh, biracial, there was uh, other blacks there and uh, white people, as you know. But everybody got along really cool. We had this English teacher named Mrs. Sasser, and she taught us how to meditate, tr do transcendental meditation. Well, speaking of that, um, the first music that you guys kind of got into mm -hmm. was jazz fusion, right? Yeah, jazz uh, fusion. And they all had this kind of spiritual element. A lot of them were attached to Est, right? A lot of these guys. But, but anyway, just talk about, I mean, maybe now it, people don't really get it, but jazz fusion was a pretty intense music for its time. And a lot of the chops you hear yeah. in the bad brains, you could really take back to Ma Vishnu and... Yeah. and uh, weather report and yes. whatnot. So, yes. kind of talk about that. And also, if I'm not mistaken, you, did you guys see Bob Marley opening for Stanley Clark? Yes, sir. We right. Sure so, kind of go into that whole. You know, just because it's a really important part of the Bad Brain story that's never really told, which mm -hmm. is this jazz fusion part. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In '78, we were called Mind Power, and uh, we did go to see Bob Marley in '79 for the first time. And he was opening for Stanley Clark. The band Mind Power was, was into Al Demiola and uh, Chick Corea and Stanley Clark and um, this other guitar player named, um, I believe he was named uh, Ron. And he was a bass player. And uh, he worked with um, a lot of people all over the, the uh, counties in uh, D.C. And I remember going to see Bob Marley, and this was before I had dreadlocks. And uh, he, I, w I didn't know that black people could have long hair, and I said, no way, man. And uh, they said, yeah, that's his hair, and I seen it. it was all the way down here, and it was the first time, you know, I'd ever seen a black man with that much hair. And everybody had on red, gold, and green caps. And I said, something's going on here. I didn't know what's going on. I had to find out. And I found out. And, and it comes back to Stanley Clark, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is amazing. Um, so kind of with that, uh, I mentioned before the kind of spiritual aspect of these, jet, these fusion groups is, mm -hmm. you know, you arrive with Think and Grow Rich and PMA. And yeah. There must be a connection there somehow, right? Yeah, yes, sir. Napoleon Hill wrote the book, and uh, in the book he was he would talk about uh, positive mental attitude. That's where PMA got 
came in. And uh, he said there was a formula that anything the mind can conceive and believe, the mind can achieve. And we were just young kids at the time. We didn't know. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't know if um, we'd be able to keep it going. And But he said a quitter never wins and a winner never quits. And so that's what kept us going. We read the book. My father said, I was laying around watching TV. He said, why don't you do something with yourself, young man? And he said, go read a book. And he, there was this book above um, my refrigerator. And I went there and was thinking, Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. That's amazing, because it's really like so much of what you, not only what you did, but also what people got from your music mm -hmm. really kind of mm -hmm. starts there. Mm -hmm. um, a really important character, too, in your growing is... Um, Sid McRae, and you, yeah, yeah. right, so he's kind of the guy who turns you on to punk rock, is that yes, kind of how this goes? Mm -hmm. He was so, Daryl's friend. Right, so kind of talk about like, you know, you guys are fine to go out Sex Pistols, because I know your early sets you were playing right. like subhumans and yeah. vile tones and yeah. all these crazy covers, yeah. that's what yeah. I first saw you, mm -hmm. and, um, but kind of just talk about uh, what punk, how punk rock spoke to you, I guess. Mm-hmm. We had never been, ex we were, like I said, into jazz, and we met Sid, Daryl introduced me to Sid McRae, and the two of us used to go into his house, me and Daryl, and there we'd listen to the Ramones, and we invited Daryl, our friend Gary, and Earl, and we used to have fun with him at the time, and we would uh, invite Sid up to, to the early shows, and there was two singers, and Daryl and uh, Gary changed guitars. At first, um, Gary wanted to play the bass, or he did play the bass, and Daryl played the guitar, but they changed up, and they said, well, we're gonna change, and so Daryl went to bass, and Gary started playing the guitar, and there at Sid's house, we listened to punk rock tunes, like I said, by the Ramones and by uh, Eater and the Germs and uh, one other person, Slaughter and the Dogs. And uh, we got exposed to this. And I said, well, are they for real? Because i seen these girls with safety pins in their mouth and chains going to their ears and the deuce with black eyes and it was really a fun time for me. Um, I loved growing up and this was in Maryland and I loved to hear the music and I said well you know these brothers are doing all right but they need a positive mental attitude uh, to them, you know, because they were singing about oh, everything, lobotomy and <laughs> all this stuff, you know. But anyway. And, and you guys are walking around Maryland with like dog collars yeah. or whatever, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, like, fuck you on your shirt or something, yeah, whatever, you know. <laughs> My brother had a, had a leather jacket with um, cross skulls and bones. <laughs> And Gary used to wear this outfit where he had red paint all over him, and Daryl had a blonde streak in his hair and this big long afro. So, so what did everybody think? Like, what did your Bob think? Or like, what they your thought think? we got run over by a train. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
My mother used to say, oh, Lord, have mercy, here they come. And she invited us to go downstairs in the basement and practice. And uh, we put up, we had our first party there as the Bad Brains. And uh, I remember I played bass a little bit. And my father and mother had went left down, left town for the weekend. But when they came back, the house was a wreck, you know? <laughs> it was the last time I was ever, ever to get a chance to invite the band over. And eventually she said, well, you're going to have to go. When I started growing dreadlocks, she said, well, my father and mother said, you're going to have to go somewhere else. <laughs> Man, it was pretty rough after that. But we got a house in Bayway in uh, a place called Sheriff, Mar Maryland. And the four of us got a house together. And uh, there we practiced our tunes. And we eventually went to Madam's Oregon. That's where we put on our first show in Madam's Oregon. And then later on, we went to DC Space and the Atlantis Club. That's the old 930 Club. Yeah, I remember, um, I'll jump around on some questions, but the first times I saw you was kind of like um, I had moved to D.C. after you were banned in D.C. Yeah. And so there was like these shows, like you're saying, at D.C. Space and the original 930 with you and the band Black Market Baby. Yeah. And that was kind of like a really impressive force at the time. Like yes. the two of you bands was like really like inspiring a generation of punk rock with, oh, the, with all the kids and the, the Ian Mackays and like yeah, all that, you know. Right, the Teen Idols. Yeah, right, right. And Minor Threat, mm -hmm. and SOA, yep. and all these bands like that, the um, Slicky Boys. <laughs> Kane, Jim, Mr. Kane was in the group. And the he Slicky had, Boys, yeah. Yes, sir, he had a long yep. he had the longest hair I'd ever seen, man. It went <laughs> almost down to his knees. And uh, I would ask him questions about the Sleggy Boys and what their image was all about. And there was this group called Urban Verbs. And there we saw them play once at Georgetown University. And uh, we got a chance to meet some of the kids there. And they basically would talk about different things. Really intellectual kids. They knew what they was talking about, and uh, I was surprised, man, to hear the artistic um, approach to the music, and that's what turned Yeah, it's like on. you had to be smart to be into this music. Yeah. You know, you might look dumb, but you had to be smart. They had image. Yeah. yeah. So your intro to Rasta, Rasta is very interesting, too, because you're into, you're into punk, so there's... The Clash and the Ruts and you know these kind of bands that are playing the reggae and then there's you know also like you said you s through jazz fusion you saw um, Bob Marley and I know that Greg was it Gregory Isaac's movie Rockers was yeah, that with sure uh, Horsemouth Wallace and yeah. that one that was a big one for you too right Mr. Miller yeah and uh, another brother by the name of um, Cornell. And then there was a horse mouth. He was in, a, in right. one of these groups. And he was the main partner, the main character in the movie that was called Rockers. And also um, Burning Spear. Mm -hmm. So um, it's an interesting path, though, to get to Ja. It was like through punk rock and, and fusion. And, yeah. and all, it's an interesting route. Mm -hmm. When mm -hmm. did... Um, 
you know, I, I know in my conversations with uh, Doc and Daryl, they always talk about um, Rasta as like a Christian expression. Yeah. And uh, how did Rasta, because I mean, obviously, when you grow up in the military, there's faith. and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So kind of make that connection, like between a Christian upbringing and mm -hmm. the, the word of Jah. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it came from the Holy Bible. My father was a preacher, and the church was right down the street from our house. And I, my mother would take me to church, and I was baptized in Atlanta, Georgia, Olive Tree Chaplain. And um, there I would learn, I learned about Christ, Jesus Christ. And uh, the concept came from Think, Grow Rich, and he was talking about how he was Jesus Christ. He was one of the um, most powerful prophets in the Bible. And so I read the Bible. I said, I got to find out who this Holly Selassie is. You know, I knew something was going on. And there in the Bible, I found the answer in Revelations. Mm -hmm. And it really kind of propelled you, right? I mean, yes, it really sir. kind of was just a life-changing thing. Mm -hmm. It sure was. Um, so let's go back a little bit. Uh, some We were talking about the late 70s, I guess, mm -hmm. when you see... 78. Yeah, 78, 79. 79. And then mm -hmm. 79, 80-ish is where you do the Pay to Come single here, right? Right. And that's at the Money Building, like with Jimmy Quid or something? Is it, do I have my yes, history sir. right? Yes, sir. At Pierce Studios with Jimmy Quid and the Dots. He was our first producer. Mm -hmm. And talk, talk about, and that single really kind of defined the Bad Brains because you had Pay to Come, this kind of groundbreaking punk sound on the first side, mm -hmm. and you have the rock and reggae of Stay Close to Me on the B yes, side, sir. right? True. So that's kind of like the, the mission statement of the Bad Brains, I always yes, felt. Sir. Yes, sir. That was our first album, I mean, single that we ever did, and uh, we recorded that one, like you said, in uh, Pierce Studios with Jimmy Quid and the Dots. And um, it went number one in Enemy in Europe. That was our first single, and we were surprised that um, it did get number one there. And uh, we decided to be a band, a punk rock band, for um, several years. And then after 1984, that's when I started Human Rights. So right before that, um, I guess the story goes that the late Dave Hahn was the one who introduced you to the late Jerry Williams mm -hmm. and you working next door. Mm -hmm. And uh, what, uh, you know, and that's where you get the Roar cassette and, yeah. and all this stuff. And just yeah. talk about, like, the band's kind of on fire at that point. Mm -hmm. So just mm -hmm. kind of talk about. And also, there's this whole scene growing up, like, right? You know, mm -hmm. we'll talk later about Adam Yauk, but, okay. um, you know, the Beastie Boys and all these bands really start next door f right. watching you guys. Right, right, right. So you're teaching the children. So yeah. to speak. So why don't you yeah. talk about that a little bit? Um, this brother named Henry Rollins gave us a ride into uh, New York from D.C. And our first show we did is Studio Nine. And uh, it's right down the street from CBGB's. And we that was went the to Yippie see place? That was like the Yippies had that place? Yes, sir. Or, mm -hmm. yeah, it sure is. And uh, one day... <sighs> Yeah. Uh, Studio 9 told me, well, they're going to have a truck, a big truck, go down uh, Broadway Street 
and you you come along to it and I had this big black flag and I was waving it around like this and it was really a joy still but when I think about it it was a little outrageous for what we were doing and um, then I'd heard about CBGB's and how they were letting alternative bands play Hilly Crystal was the manager at the time and he had, uh, bless his soul, deepest condolences for Hilly. But um, he would have young bands play and alternative bands. And um, there we went to, on Christmas Eve, we went to play at CBGB's. And uh, that's how it all started for us. Yeah, it went really fast, right? Because like within months, there's the show with The Clash, right? Yeah. It bombs. Yes, Yes. Which is like crazy, right? Like yeah. whoever plays that show, everybody knows, yeah. right? And right, uh, right, right. And a few months later, you're recording with Rick Ocasek from the yeah. Cars. So, yeah. kind of talk about that because obviously you guys, people are really paying attention to the Bad Brains at this point. Well, like I said, we met um, a brother named uh, Han, Dr. Dave Han, and he introduced us to the owner of Reach Out International Records, Roar Records, and we put out an album, and they had red, some red cassettes, some green cassettes, and some gold cassettes, and there was um, a lot of cool songs on it, and um, it eventually led us to Rock for Light, and that's when uh, Mr. Ocasek heard the band, I think we were in Arizona at the time, but he came to see us play, and he said, man, you guys sound good. I'd like to produce you. And so we said, wow, right on, you know, because we had heard of Rico Kasich and the Cars, and uh, he said he liked, the, he liked the band, and so he went ahead and produced it. And then, so basically what happened was you make this great record, and then the record company goes out of business? Wasn't it something like that? Um, like Gem Records, do I have my well, history right? Uh, Reach Out International Records right. went uh, underground, right? And um, we decided that we wanted to put out an album called Rock for Light, and uh, so that's what we did. And we moved right over here to One Seventy One Avenue A. We had met Jerry, God bless his soul, and. Uh, we recorded there the first album, Rock for Light. So, um, let's jump to the next album, which is Eye Against Eye, which is such an amazing thing because you've, if I remember the story right, you had, you had started your solo career. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, you kind of come in at the end of this record, right? Kind of, mm -hmm. uh, but it's like your great album. It's like the great Bad Braids album. It's yeah. this really kind of comes out of left field, like like the Bad Brains have kind of gone away for two years and yeah. people kind of forget. And then you mentioned Henry Rollins, which must, must have something to do with you ending up on Black Flag's label, yeah. SST Records. Mm -hmm. So um, talk about the making of that album. I mean, we know the story about the Sacred Love single, but mm -hmm. uh, singing that song, but kind of talk about you know, you work with Ron St. Germain, who's this incredible dance producer. You know, you work with uh, Diana Ross and yeah. 
just created this sound that like you guys hadn't had before. I mean, mm. the 171A records are great, and the Rick Ocasek one's great, but the sound on this that you finally get, to me, it's like the, the matching of the message and the sound and the recording, and it kind of like is really a definitive late 20th century rock album. Thank you. And um, what, uh, well, I guess the question is, so what is your, um, what's your view on that record? I mean, am I, am, how do you feel about that record, I guess, is the real yeah, question. Yeah, I liked it. I, I enjoyed it. It, it was immense. Um, I really enjoyed recording. Uh, we had, it was the first time we had recorded on that level. I think there was um, about 75 tracks on the album, uh, not on the album, but on the board that we recorded on. And uh, we came up with um, some interesting grooves and we went ahead and recorded I Against I, but I wasn't um, able to make any photos at the time. I had spent a little time in jail. <laughs> I had got, got busted with some herb, <laughs> and uh, we later met Ron St. Germain. He said, man, I got to get these cats in the studio, but um, we went ahead and decided to record Sacred Love. He came up with the idea that I could sing over the phone, and uh, Anthony County was a new band manager, and uh, we had met him at the... Uh, Un unicorn, not unicorn, but um, over at the, uh, what's it called now? It's, um, it was not 171, but um, Unitarian, Unitarian House, uh, Unitarian Hall. And uh, there, Anthony met the band, and he came up in the dressing room, and he said, I really like you guys, and I want to take y'all to different places, and that's what he did. And uh, we got a chance to do some recording with Ron when I came back out of the uh, penitentiary. And uh, there we recorded, we finished recording I Can't Side. It took me about two days to come up with the lyrics. But Daryl and Gary had laid down the tracks, and my brother Earl. And, um, like I said, it took us about two days to do it, and that's so what. So, what we were the did. people in in the lockup thinking of when you're screaming "Sacred Love" over the phone? They they didn't know. They had no idea what was going on. They thought I was talking to my girlfriend, and, uh, so that's how I was able to get through that one. And I was writing a song about her, but um, Ron Saint Germain, like I said, he had. He had came up with this concept of the band's recordings was played while I listened to it at the same time would sing some of the um, the songs to the uh, music that they had played. And uh, I, that's when I came up with the um, idea of singing Sacred Love. Yeah. You know, um, I was reading something about the Bad Brains and they were saying like, talking about how you came in at the end of quickness and all that. And I'm thinking, you were like doing a solo career at that point, and it was kind of on fire. You had, it's about love and keep out of reach. And, yeah. and 
uh, human rights yes, and, and yeah. all the bands, human rights and Ross Michael Zion Train and mm -hmm. all, you know, and it's really kind of like you were really onto something, kind of like creating a culture around these black rockers, mm -hmm. and so I I could kind of see why it took you. Um, going back to the Bad Brains probably wasn't your first choice at that mm -hmm. point, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. I had um, decided to do uh, It's About Love as our first record. It was put out on our label, our own label, Olive Tree Records. And um, I was living in Washington, D.C., and I'd heard Sting doing a song uh, and doing an interview about his song on the radio and uh, he was talking about human rights and I said well that's a good name for the band and I said then my name was HR at the time I'd gotten the name from this friend of mine who was first he started calling me hunting rod and <laughs> for, your, for your hunting rod yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh, later on that changed to HR and he's, I was working as a security guard at this hospital called K. Fritz Hospital, Greater Southeast. And I was there that the band Earl and Daryl and Gary said, well, come on, man. Uh, we heard that Bob Marley is playing with Stanley Clark over at the Capitol Center. And I said, oh, man, I hope I can get off. And I asked my... Uh, officers there would I have did I have permission to take off for the weekend because I was working so hard there and um, sometimes I do a double uh, double um, so so after quickness which is again a great album you know you're barely out you know you come in at the last second kind of save the day right I mean mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. so um, and then they do this album, they finally get on, the Bad Braids finally get on a major label in 1991, mm -hmm. and you're not on the record. Mm -hmm. What do you, th I mean, I was listening to that record, and all I could think of is that if HR is on this record, he would have killed it. Yeah. And, but it didn't happen. So what do, you, what, what do you think now about a Bad Braids record without you on it? Well, they, they had um, worked out some music, and it was dubbed dub music and I thought it was pretty good when they had moved to Woodstock and it was pretty far from where I lived in DC so they decided to do this dub album together. Um, the group had disbanded for a while and the manager had made a suggestion. He said, well, you know, HR, you should go out there and get some experience and do things on your own and then come back and play with the Bad Brains. So that's what I did. And uh, during that time that I was in California, uh, living out there, and I met um, Greg Ginn. And Greg Ginn invited me to his uh, recording studio, and we did a few songs there, a few albums. Um, uh, What's the one where the lion with his hands? Oh yeah, the trilogy, trilogy album. And later on, the group Bad Brains had did a Spirit Electricity album, 
And that's how it all started for me. I had, was working my butt off with Greg Ginn, and we came in. He had a group called Gone, and uh, so we decided to give Greg Ginn a try, and it worked out. Yeah, for sure. Um, so um, I was going to talk about Adam Yauch for a second, because the Beastie Boys were, you know, always, I mean... Jerry Williams told me they called themselves BB because you were BB. You yeah. know, they were Beastie Boys because you were the bad brains. Um, but regardless, they were, you know, they want to take you on the road for the God of Love album. Adam funds the 2007 album, right, the comeback. But just talk about Adam Yauch for a minute because he's kind of like a really important character in yeah. this whole thing. Yes, sir. We, we all used to hang out in uh, CBGB's and... Um, that's where Daryl had met the uh, Beastie Boys, and he took them under his wing and decided to do some playing with them. And uh, that's where the Beastie Boys put out their first album in Westbeth, and uh, it was a smash, it was a success. And everybody liked them, and they were outrageous, you know. They had their own style, and uh, it was a little funky, and it had a groove to it. And um, them, and also Long Beach Dub All-Stars, had come up with this uh, sound where they wanted uh, the people to know on FM radio that they weren't playing around, man. They loved music, and they wanted to play this kind of music for the kids. And uh, that's how it happened. Yeah, it's kind of amazing how many people are like were inspired by what you guys did, and yeah. uh, that's just one example of of many. Yes, um, we could talk for a long time, but I'm going to start winding this down. Um, mm -hmm. You know, life is a journey, and we all take our strange path. And you know, you have had a interesting story to say the least, and you know, it kind of ends with, you know, part of really being a, a person, a man or a woman is really taking care of yourself. And I can't think that there's something incredibly ironic about the guy from the bad brains had, you know, had the work on the brain. Yeah. And I just wanted to know how you were, how that changed you, where you're at. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I had... Um been out in California for about 15 years and uh, while I was out there I did listen to a lot of bands and a lot of music and then I came to Baltimore to live and I used to live at the warehouse and there I met uh, my wife Lori and uh, we moved to from Baltimore we moved to Philadelphia because she had been offered a job and um, while I was in Philadelphia, I decided to go to a doctor. My wife had asked me what was going on, and I told her, well, I was getting headaches. And she said, well, why don't you go to the hospital and um, meet some of the doctors there and see if they can do something for you. And I went to see the, uh, Dr. Lee, and he decided, he showed me his work, and he had a video of his um, 
ability to help people with chronic uh, or chronic pains. And um, I said, he said, well, do you want to give it a try? And I said, yeah, sure, I'm willing to try anything. And uh, I went there, and about six months later, this was in uh, 2011, 2012. And um, I said, well, I feel a lot better. I had brain surgery. It took about three days. And um, the headaches went away. Um, I decided that I wanted to play more music. And so I went and started uh, with um, a brother named uh, Grant Garrison and also um, this brother named Jamiki. And uh, Jamiki would take us to different places. We started a band with Mr. Garrison and Jerry and Steve. And we put out this uh, album called Hey Wella. And um, it was there that I got permission from Dr. Lee to keep on playing. But he said, take a year out and do some um, playing your guitar and stay away from I was really bummed out in a way, he said, uh, but um, you're going to have to stay away from heavy metal. And <laughs> You know, that was that was like saying, uh, you know, you're going to have to take off your right arm. And, and I really tripped out. But I did take a year out, and we lived in the, uh, Philadelphia, like I said, on Green Street. And it was there that I um, had the operation, and I took everything that the doctor said. I took it to heart, and uh, a year later I was found... I found God even more serious in my life, and uh, it healed. The headaches went away, and um, so now I put out another album. Uh, after that, it, it was called Hey Wella, and um, that's where we did that album there. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. It's just an incredible story. Um, so I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, we're going to ask a few questions from the house, um, okay. but just seriously, thank you. God bless. You're welcome. God bless you. All right, so uh, we, have, we have a few questions for you from okay. the internet. So okay. See what you think about this. All right. <laughs> All right. So from Stephen Messina. Mm -hmm. Considering your impact and influence on hardcore and punk rock music, what would you say is your greatest achievement as an artist? Well, I think my greatest achievement as an artist was to release a With the Quickness. Yeah, that beautiful. Was, mm -hmm, that, that, the group was in transition, and it went from um, punk rock to hardcore. And uh, that, that was when I changed my style of music. Fantastic, thank mm -hmm. you. All right, so uh, from the birthday boy, director Drew Stone over here. Happy birthday, Drew. All right, any recollections or anecdotes or stories about our dear departed friend, Jerry Williams, AKA JW171A? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was the uh, engineer for uh, Rock for Light. 
and um, we used to live in this studio. And uh, right next door, right next door, and we stayed there. And on Avenue A, they had this place that's called um, Niagara, but it was called Avenue A at first. And it was there that we did our shows, our first show down in the basement. And then we would come back up and go to his his um, his studio and do a live do work. And uh, he put out a live album and put out a recording album, Rock for Light. And it got pretty good good play, you know. And Jerry Williams had moved out to um, Arizona. And he had introduced us to vegetarian living, holistic healing, and holistic uh, eating. It was there that we became vegetarians and started um, uh, eating uh, vegetables and uh, fruit and all that kind of stuff, you know? Because that's what he was into, and tofu and that kind of food. And that changed a lot, changed us a lot. Well, he had a big impact on all of us here mm -hmm. tonight, so Jerry Williams. Thank you for that. Yes, sir. It's here for Jerry Williams. Yes, sir. Buried in the wall next door. This is from Gregory Hagen. Okay, um, how do you carry on the spirit of hardcore in a distinctly anti-rock 21st century? Oh boy, that's, <laughs> tough. that's a good question, right? Yeah, man. All these people won your book tonight. So um, could you recite that? Recite that yeah, one sure. more time. How do you carry on the spirit of hardcore in a distinctly anti-rock 21st century? Well, um, I would say that uh, has a lot to do with talking to the people and getting the power to the people and getting from the audiences what different things they enjoyed listening to. And if you take time out to listen to the kids, listen to the youth of America, they will be able to give you the, um, the formula to having a better relationship with your music and with yourself and with them. Beautiful, thank you. Mm -hmm. So uh, one, one more, one more, sorry. Uh, from Bradley Alstrom, any new bands you listen to? Yeah, um, I do listen to, uh, I'm more listening to a little hip hop okay. these days and I uh, like, I went to the Anthem Theater around a month ago and I uh, did get a chance to see the Dead Presidents and M1 and oh, Max cool. Roach and all of them. All right. And uh, also I like um, uh, Billy Idol, if you ever heard. <laughs> right. I like him. That kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like him too. Yeah, yeah. Very and, cool. Mm -hmm. uh, one more from... Uh, Mr. Brian Machutin. Uh What is your favorite song by James Brown? Um, Tough choice. I think it would be Papa's Got a Brand New Bag. All right. <laughs> All right, then. Yeah. Well, th thank you so much. Thank you. Come on, everybody. Thank you, Tom. Let's hear from HR. Let's hear from HR. Come on. And Stephen Blush. <laughs>